Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Here's a subject most all of us tend to put off, and that's comprehensive planning for retirement. So how many years do you and your spouse have left until you plan to retire? What is the size of your retirement portfolio today? How much do you estimate you will need to retire comfortably and in style and when you and your spouse decide to do so. And when you pass away, how do you plan to distribute your remaining assets? Whatever you answered uh, or whatever your current age, there is no time like now to begin planning for retirement. And Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor Roger Allen Friedman is here to help. Roger has prepared a special report titled The Beneficiary Minefield, 19 Retirement Mistakes You Must Avoid. This special report is a must-read for every one of you with an IRA or other type of retirement account, and Roger's special report is chock-full of information to consider before you retire, mistakes to avoid before you make them. Read it, study it, and become educated on this crucial topic for a carefree retirement future. You can order Roger Friedman's extremely helpful report online at rogeronretirement.com slash shop. That's R-O-D-G-E-R on retirement.com slash shop. Check it out today. Well, let's begin this segment with a hypothetical scene from a horror movie, and you are the star. Picture this scenario in your mind. You walk into a small room with no windows and only one exit, the same door you just entered through. You've never been uh, before been in this building nor in this room. The room's stripped down, completely devoid of any amenities, no place you'd want to stay. And by the way, you didn't bring along your smartphone, laptop, or iPad, so you have no means of communicating with the outside world. And suddenly, just after you enter, the door behind you slams shut. There's no inside door handle, and the door is firmly locked from the outside, no exit. The walls are very thick, effectively soundproof, and so no pounding uh, on them because that won't help. Anyway, there's not a soul nearby to open the door, and all of a sudden you're stuck in a rut. It's not a pleasant scenario, is it? You certainly wouldn't want to be the star in this horror movie. But here's the sad reality. So many of us at middle age lock ourselves mentally into a present reality that's about as positive and fulfilling as this locked, empty room. Lifestyle, relationships, or career far short of where you'd like to be at life's midpoint. At 40, 50, or 60, does it feel like your best days are behind you? It's all downhill from here. And believe it or not, some folks would rather stay locked up within self-imposed limitations, avoiding the initiative to reach out for a joyful, rewarding future if there's even the slightest possibility of failing. In fact, these unfortunate individuals would rank pain of failure as a threat much greater than their current unhappiness or deprivation. Does this describe you? 
uh, to compound your dissatisfaction. You suffer from the if only disease. If only I hadn't got. If only I'd gotten hired for that dream job last spring, and I would have if I hadn't screwed up on the final interview, or if only I hadn't failed in that new business I started three years ago. Well, here's some surprising good news. My next guest, Lennox Cornwall, is here to explain why, strange as it may sound, embracing failure can be the key to success. Why is this such good news? Because of every one million people worldwide striving for success, 999,999 of us will experience failure somewhere along the way, most probably far more than once. And as Lennox Cornwall puts it, by reevaluating and thereby redefining our perspective on failure, we're able to use it in a positive way to help us achieve what we really want. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like the sound of that. And uh, Lennox Cornwall has been described as a renaissance man because he applies creativity, leadership, and entrepreneurial skills to a wide range of activity, including business ownership, commercial real estate investment, product invention, and high-performance coaching. He enjoyed a successful early career as a corporate banker in the City of London Financial District. That was uh, following, then following his boyhood dream, he became a business owner, but initial success was followed by massive failure. As Lennox puts it, I lost everything and then some, but to his credit, he bounced back, started fresh, and since has authored an international bestseller on recovery and reaching new heights titled Embracing Failure, Your Key to Success. And hello, Lennox Cornwall, and it's indeed an honor to have you with us here today. Thanks, Roy. It's an honor to be on. If I hadn't um, known what I know about failure now, I would probably find a dark room and be crying from the description that you, you started us off with. <laughs> well, to begin, tell us a bit about your personal story. In hindsight, what caused your business venture to fail and what inspired you to dust off and recover? Was there an aha moment along the way or, or how did that happen? There were many aha moments, um, but let me first say that, you know, the failure I had in business was really the first thing I'd failed at so miserably in my entire life. Hmm. I had a very successful career as a corporate banker. Yeah. Prior to that, I was president of my students' union at oh. university, etc., etc. Yeah. What then happened was um, I did want to fulfill that boyhood dream because it was time to leave the bank. Certain things were going on that really were a little bit distasteful to me. Yeah. And so I left the bank to fulfill the dream. And my colleagues and I, my business partners and I had way more charisma than we actually had business acumen back in those days. I've got little charisma now and a lot more business acumen, let me tell you. But we, we really didn't know what we were doing. And quite frankly, I realized that the moment things started going wrong and realized I didn't know how to recover. And the advice I was receiving from people who thought they knew what to do was very bad. And again, I take responsibility for that. So what happened was ignorance. And what turned it around was a moment I had where I saw three options. One was to get a job, and I just couldn't face getting a job after having the freedom of business ownership. Yeah. So option two was extremely fleeting. It just flashed across my mind to commit suicide. And I said, wow, if I'm thinking like that, I've got to start another business. So I yeah. did. <laughs> and then I started journaling, which was really when I started getting a lot of ahas. And the journaling oh, literally turned into the manuscript for the book, Embracing Failure, Your Key to Success. 
Oh, that's great. Well, most coaches advise us not to dwell on past failures, and to the contrary, in your book, you tell us to embrace failure. How in the world will we we be inspired by dwelling upon an unfortunate past? That's a great question. Now, what I don't want people to do is to dwell on it. I want them to look at it and analyze it, but not to procrastinate or overanalyze it, because when we do that, it just becomes depressing. Yeah, the only reason to think about the past, an unpleasant past, is how we can uh, change things in the future. Certainly, it doesn't do any good just to regret it. Absolutely, and that's all it's about. So the journaling exercise is literally, well, okay, this went wrong. Why did it go wrong, and what can I now do differently? And when we look at it in that way, we get a house. Yeah, and, and you have to, like you said, you have to be willing to take responsibility rather than blame the economy or blame some advice you got from somebody else or this or that, because it's so easy to play the blame game. It temporarily eases your pain. On the other hand, it doesn't help solve anything <laughs> to do that. Not at all. Not at all. I agree entirely. Well, as a first step to cracking the code, you tell us to turn failure into sustained success by embracing it as an acronym, F-A-I-L-U-R-E. Can you please tell us what each letter in your acronym stands for? I like that. Absolutely, Roy. It's a fruitful and informative lesson urging renewed efforts. And when we look at it in that that way, rather than seeing failure as the final nail in our coffin of hope, we can actually now see it as an emancipating force that drives us forward. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's it. Well, what are five bad habits holding so many of us back from genuine success? Well, there are many, but I'll, go, I'll keep it to five. I, think I know one of you the did a past interview where you identified five. I, you've got yes, more I going. did, absolutely. And the reason I've, I identified those five is the, they're the ones I see most often. So focusing on what may go wrong instead of what we can actually achieve is a big one. You know, looking at that negative rather than the positive. The second one, Roy, would be taking advice from people who are as stuck as we are. And one of the reasons that we do that, (laughs) one of the reasons that we do that is that deep down we know that we want change, but we don't want to change. And the people that are as stuck as us typically say, don't worry about it. Let's have another beer or another coffee, whatever it is <laughs> yeah. you drink, and, and, and talk about it. And nothing yeah, we ever also really happens. We tend to envy or, or perhaps we're intimidated by someone who's a lot more successful than us. So it's kind of good to commiserate over a, a beer or more <laughs> with somebody we, else who's also a failure. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and number three would be that we've got no structure. So the road to freedom is to literally have routine, although that seems counterintuitive. When we have routine, we're free to do the things that we want to do because we're getting things done. And then part of that as well, that no structure, is is limiting treats. Listen, I love social media as as much as the next person. Um, I use it a lot. It's part of my business model. But if I'm on there all day, it kind of becomes counterproductive. So we've got to structure these things and limit them so that they're serving us rather than not. Yeah. Uh, the fourth one, Roy, would be being a victim of, of change rather than its master. Now, things are going to happen in life. Often they're going to go wrong. And if we don't have some vision of where we want to go, we will simply be swept along by change yeah. rather than being the masters of change. And then the yeah. last one is one that's most difficult to master for, for most people. And that is that we manage effects or circumstances rather than their causes. And let me just expound on that a little bit. 
So causes are thoughts. It's creative thinking. Whatever, however we think tends to be how we create our circumstances. But what people do is, like you mentioned earlier, look at the economy, which is a circumstance, and yeah. there's nothing you individually can do about that. But yeah. what you can do is ignore the economy and take actions that are taking you closer to where you want to be. There are some phenomenal businesses that exist today that were actually started in the, in the Great Depression, quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, the economy is not the only uh, driver that determines our success or not. Yeah. Well, is it true that we can learn more from our failures than from our successes? I know you apparently did yourself. Uh, and if so, why is that, that uh, we can learn more from the failures? I absolutely believe that we can. And let me give you an example that um, hopefully makes sense. If you were sitting on a chair, balancing on, let's say, the arm of a chair, you know, yeah. somewhat precariously, drinking a glass of water, yeah. you may slip and spill that water. Yeah. Now, if you didn't slip and spill that water, you would continue drinking it in that way. But because you did... You had to pause and think, well, hang on a second, maybe there's a better way of doing this. And so either you stop drinking in such a precarious manner, or you find skills that you didn't have before to continue drinking in that way. So you've learned by making the mistake, if you like, or failing, Great. and embracing that failure and moving on to succeeding at it. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense, yeah. Well, let's say you have the courage to move forward and try something new. When you approach a new opportunity, what are some things you should take into consideration about it before you commit significant time, energy, and resources? What are some of those things you could consider? That's another wonderful question. The first one I always start off with is, does this thing, whatever it may be, this opportunity, jive with your, with your values and your, your principles? Yeah. If it doesn't, leave it alone. Yeah. Now, that presupposes that you know what your values and principles are. And again, a lot of people I work with struggle with really identifying those. I, so I help them along with that. <laughs> so many people exactly. are completely lacking in that. <laughs> exactly. And so we are like we're in a, this big ocean sort of wandering around um, as yeah. wandering generalities, not understanding why things are going wrong. We don't know what our values and goals are and, and, and our principles. And the second one, Roy, would be is it taking me towards the direction I'm generally going in, or is it taking me away from that? If it's taking you away, again, no matter how attractive it is, no matter how much money you think you can earn from it, don't do it. It's going to end up badly. Yeah. Um, another one would be to make sure that you have sufficient resources to complete it. Oh, yeah. And that's, it's easier said than done, but you know, you've got to make some sort of a plan. And that would be whether it's human resources, capital resources, yeah equipment resources and so on yeah. you know do your best to actually make sure that you've got enough to see the project through yeah, um, one of the and biggest you have to be able yeah, one to of recruit the, those resources and, uh, including maybe uh, letting somebody else in on the potential payoff you know get a partner or whatever it, uh, without a do. doubt yeah it, uh, without a doubt we so often hear the term paralysis of analysis how do we know when uh, we're over analyzing ourselves using the i've got to think about some more about it as an excuse to uh, putting off having to make a decision <laughs> and take action <laughs> yeah that is a really great question again it's it's easier said than done but you know like with a, a lot of things in life we have to attempt it at least so one of the things i would say we have to do here is to look at whether 
our analyzing it is moving us forward, keeping <laughs> us stuck or moving us backwards, right? Yeah, so that's... if we find that we're analyzing and, and we're stuck where we are three, four, five weeks and sometimes years later, maybe we're overanalyzing. So again, <laughs> you, we just have to start with being honest with ourselves, you know? That's Am so I true. overanalyzing because I'm afraid to take action? And that's usually yeah. a yes. Yeah. So we have to be honest. Yeah. Well, that's so so true. Well, let's turn now to the million-dollar question. Once you analyze and embrace failure, truly understand why you failed the last time out, how do you overcome your identified limitations and turn them into wins? In short, how do you get back up? Any suggestions for better results next time? You know, how, how do we go about implementing that uh, embracing of failure to actually move on to better things? I think the first thing that we have to do is to decide that there are no limitations other than the ones that we choose to believe in. Yeah. Um, and, and that, again, it's easier said than done. But if we're starting out by, for example, saying, I am no good at whatever it may be, immediately we've put a limitation, yeah. and that is brought into by our subconscious mind, yeah. which really is the big driver here. If, if the subconscious mind is given a command, you know, I'm no good at this, guess what, you're going to be no good at it. Um, the second thing is, look, I also understand that we cannot be great at everything. Yeah. There isn't enough time. So the things that you're not so good at and that you don't enjoy, there's absolutely no reason why you should not farm those out, whether it's to an employee in terms of delegation, if we're in a business sense, or to a third-party vendor who can do it for you. Now, you brought something into the conversation earlier, which was sharing profits. And what I yeah. find, not just in my life, but in the life of my clients, is when we actually create a bigger pie, your percentage of the pie is usually much bigger than the entire pie you would be actually eating that's, on your own. That's an excellent so point. It's, it's absolutely one plus one is far greater than two. It truly is. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Well, uh, let's talk a bit about your best-selling book, Embracing Failure, Your Key to Success. What makes your book different from all the other self-help and success books out there? There seem to be hundreds of those in the, in the bookstore or the library, but uh, what's, why is yours different? There are, there are, you know, there are so many of those things you want to, you know, how is there room for another one? I would say that the, one of the biggest things about my book, what I call the unique selling proposition, if you like, is it actually meets people where they are. Oh. Most people who pick up a self-help book kind of do nothing with it because the book assumes that they're ready to succeed. Well, guess yeah. what? Most of us aren't. Most of us need to understand failure in a different way, overcome it to move on. And I would say the second thing that's different with my book is that I do actually take into consideration um, spirituality. Now, I don't oh, take good. spirituality into account in a, well, let's hope for the best kind of way. Yeah. I'm actually using the science that we have around spirituality, and that's mainly around the subconscious mind and how that literally controls us if we don't take control of it. Yeah. And so I use that to help people understand, well, if I start reprogramming myself with these tools, no matter what I do, there's going to be no change. So those would be the two big differences in my book compared to other self-help books out there. Well, how is your book organized? Does it provide like simple techniques that you and I can employ that uh, can have a life-changing impact? I, I like books that have uh, practical exercises and uh, 
suggestions on what we can do? Does yours contain that kind of thing? Without question. So the very first one, the most obvious one, is one that we've already talked about, but I think it's perhaps one of the biggest ones in there, and that is to reframe failure not as that final nail in the coffin of hope, but as a fruitful and informative lesson urging renewed effort. And when we really embrace that and, and do it, not just think about it, but do it that way, things do change. Another one would be um, tapping into your genius. Now, everyone sort of looks at the likes of Einstein and Da Vinci and says, oh, they were lucky, weren't they born lucky? Well, <laughs> yes and no, because that genius that they're tapping into is not like a personal piece of genius. It is, yeah. again, that subconscious mind that we all have access to. It's yeah. not that Roy has a subconscious mind and Lennox has one. It is one subconscious mind, yeah. and that genius is available to everybody. And I show people how to actually tap into that to you know, increase their ability to achieve whatever it is they want in life. From some simple weight loss. Some people are so capable of tapping into that uh, general intelligence and, and that universal mind, whatever you want to call it, and other people just aren't because they're so wrapped up trying to find a solution from within and they never really get anywhere with exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Rule number one, relax. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the best place to go to preview and purchase your book? Is it... Uh, I, I guess the best place, yeah, absolutely right. The the best place would be Amazon.com, and then the number two place, I guess, would be my website, which is LennoxCornwall.com. If I may spell that out, it's L-E-N-N-O-X-C-O-R-N-W-A-L-L.com. No spaces, no underscore. Should be easy since it's the same as the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall, who we've all heard. There we are. Well, you, I noticed on your website you offer 100% free info and tools for anyone interested in personal growth. And uh, how can a listener obtain that free information? Is that, I think there's a great question, there. yes. Absolutely. If if anyone visits my website, they'll see a little box that pops up. I know those things can sometimes be very annoying, um, but they are valuable if you actually take advantage of them. So all you have to do is give me a first name and an email address, and I will start sending you that information. Oh, that's great. Well, in conclusion, I'll bet as a child you dreamed big dreams for when you grew up and your imagination, in your imagination, you pictured yourself living out those dreams. And I'll also wager as a child, without doubt, you considered yourself to be very special. As an adult at middle age, do you still feel that way now? If not, why the heck not? <laughs> Following failures and disappointments, and we all have them, why, pray tell, have you locked yourself into that self-imposed, bare-bones, uh, mind-numbing metal box like that room we just talked about? Does it make sense to refrain from grasping opportunity simply out of fear that you might fail again? And if you did fail, it wouldn't be the end of the world, would it? As my guest Lennox Cornwall has pointed out, you can remove your fear of failing by understanding, embracing, and learning lessons from past failures. And Lennox uh, Cornwall's book, Embracing Failure, tell us how, as one reviewer puts it, it's been said over and over, it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get up. And the challenge is no one tells you how to get back up after failure until now. And if you're one of the millions trapped by self-imposed limitations, I highly recommend you visit uh, Lennox Cornwall's website and preview his best-selling book, Embracing Failure. You may need to come away with a whole new perspective like I have. Apparent failure can indeed help you achieve your greatest success. 
after all last year's baseball world champion, the Chicago Cubs, and also the 2015 champs, uh, Kansas City Royals. They both embrace and build upon years of losing records, as has this year's Houston Astros for you baseball fans. So let's all go out and become the Cubs of 2017. And thank you, Lennox Cornwall, for your sound advice. Thanks, Roy. I really appreciate it. Boy, that was a most informative interview. Thanks again to Lennox Cornwall, a wonderful interview. And it's amazing when you talk to folks, I'm sure you have and I have, how many men and women you uh, find who turn their lives completely around after a seemingly major setback or disappointment. And please let this be an inspiration to you. If you are presently going through some rough times, you can turn things around. There's always that strong possibility. And as regular listeners will know and will recall, over the past several weeks, we have been reviewing our OPENS formula. That's O-P-E-N-S. The key to unlock a joyful, fulfilling, and productive second half of life. And once again, the O is for optimistic attitude. P is for prayer or a spiritual connection to the higher power. E is for exercise. N is for nutrition. And then there's S, and it can stand really for three different aspects of renewal, all essential. S for service to others, that's a key component to sustain renewal. It can't be for all about ourselves and our own benefits forever if you want to sustain that positive feeling toward life. Second is for socializing. Effective renewal always involves others. (laughs) Nobody renews in a vacuum. And the third S is what we'll talk about today, and that is sleep. You know, uh, last week I introduced an August 2000, or I mentioned an August 2017 special report from Mayo Clinic on staying positive with age, and today I refer again to this uh, special report, and I want to share its 10 steps to better sleep, and sleep obviously is an essential element in staying young and active and energetic. You may not be able to control all the factors that interfere with your sleep, but here are uh, you can adopt some habits that encourage better sleep, and according to Mayo, here they are. First of all, forego naps. <clears throat> For some, naps can make it more difficult to fall asleep at night. We all know that. If you can't get by without a nap, limit it to no more than 30 minutes. And I'd like to add, especially don't take a nap after around 5 p.m. At least for me, that's pretty much guaranteed to keep me awake when I try to go to bed later. Second, check your medications. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist to see if any medications you're taking may be contributing to your insomnia. Also, check the labels of non-prescription products to see if they contain caffeine or other stimulants and stay away from those at night. Uh, A third uh, element is exercise and stay active. Active activity uh, helps promote a good night's sleep. I can attest to that. Get at least 30 minutes of moderate exercise each day, but make sure you do so a few hours before bedtime, and I can certainly attest to that. Exercising vigorously too close to going to bed may keep you awake. 
Here's another one. Avoid or limit caffeine or alcohol. You know, it's a myth that alcohol will help you sleep a drink before bedtime. That never works for me. Uh, caffeine and alcohol both can make it more difficult to achieve sound sleep. So make it a point not to have any caffeine after lunchtime. And it's not just mocha. Beware of sources of caffeine other than coffee, such as tea, some sodas, and chocolate. <laughs> There's a fatal <laughs> threat for me. <laughs> Stay away from those chocolates in the evening. Uh, next, keep your bedtime snacks small. And it goes without saying, don't eat a heavy late dinner because eating too much late in the evening can cause stomach upset, digestion problems that may keep you awake, and too much fluid before bed uh, can cause you to wake up to, as we called it as kids, to go pee-pee. <laughs> Uh, next, relax after, uh, before bed. Uh, try to put all those worries and concerns aside. We once told you to reserve an hour a day for worry and keep the rest worry-free. Address your worries earlier in the day so they don't weigh on you at bedtime. In fact, you may want to practice medita uh, meditation shortly before you go to bed. That's a good way to uh, wind down for the day. Uh, beware of electronics. This is an interesting one. Uh, I wasn't aware of this, but the light from TVs says Mayo computers or cell phones can disturb your sleep, so don't bring them into the bedroom. Reserve the bedroom for sleep and sex. <laughs> Next, stay on schedule. Keep your Mayo said that, not me. Stay on schedule. Keep your med time and wake up time consistent from day to day, and that includes weekends. You know, we often. Uh, talk about the luxury of sleeping in on weekends, but that just messes up your sleep pattern, so it's not a good idea. And if you have young kids, they'll make sure you get up on Saturday and Sunday <laughs> to play with them or do something. Uh, hide clocks, that's another good idea. Set an alarm clock so you know when to get up, but avoid checking the time so that you don't worry about what time it is until you have to get up. Now, I don't know, I, I can't do that, but because uh, I keep worrying about when the alarm's going to go off and I have to look, but uh, it may work for you. And finally, and this one is so essential, I can certainly attest to that, don't try to sleep. The harder you try, the more awake you'll become. You know, oh my God, I've got to get up at 6.30 and it's 3.30, I've got to get to sleep. That never works. If you can't sleep, get out of bed and read or listen to soothing music. Mayo tells you to do it in a different room. I do it in a relaxing chair next to my bed, but get out of bed. And, uh, and once you're feeling sleepy, then return to your bed and go to sleep. And note, the Mayo article didn't say anything about uh, counting sheep, <laughs> and that's very boring anyway. And uh, <clears throat> it's never worked for me. How about you? But uh, there was 10 good ideas excluding counting of sheep. You may throw that one in also if you want. The crux of the matter, we all know that a good night's sleep even uh, every night, I should say, is an essential key to a positive and productive lifestyle. Uh, your body has been uh, burning fuel throughout the day, hopefully in a good way, in a positive way, but it's absolutely essential that you use your bed and your bedtime as your personal filling station because all those uh, organs and your muscles, everything else in your body, including your brain, and needs a good night's sleep to energize the body and mind for another full day tomorrow. And this is the last we're going to talk about, the OPENS formula for now, O-P-E-N-S. 
uh, best of success in applying it uh, to sustainable midlife renewal. And you can go back to our prior few programs if you want some of the other letters that we cover under OPENS. And uh, please don't forget, I've written a comprehensive self-help book on the subject of midlife renewal. It's titled uh, Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards. You can find it on Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com or through our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. And it's September, and for most of us, that means back to work full-time on a, uh, in pursuit of your career or small business. So tune into our next program when our guest will tell you why you're never too old or, for that matter, too young to start a business and recharge your career. And I'll talk to you then on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com.